I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. All right, we are continuing our look at Disney's three animated films nominated for Best Animated Feature. And the first of our two part Bruno Spiracy episodes. Someone at the mouse really hates them a Bruno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we don't know who this Bruno is or why they are so hated, but someone <laughs> hates them a Bruno. Yeah. So uh we are talking about Pixar's Luca. And let's get the joke out of the way. My name is Luca. I live on the ocean floor. And we're done with the meme. <laughs> yep. I do want to make a little thing before we get really going is that the last Pixar movie to be released in theaters was Onward. And that was like the week before everything shut down. And since then, all of the Pixar movies that have come out has been all, of the, all their theatrical runs have been kind of canceled and They've all gone directly to Disney+. Disney Plus. We've seen it with, you know, Soul, and we've seen it, but this with Luca, and the upcoming uh, Turning Red. As of this recording, Turning Red has not been released yet, but by the time this episode is out, it will be released, so we haven't seen it yet. But my point is that Turning Red was supposed to get a theatrical release, and kind of at the last minute, it got canceled and gone straight to Disney+. Plus. It has brought up some questions of, like, Ryan the Last Dragon. That went forward with a theatrical release. Encanto went forward with a theatrical release. But it's weird that they decided that Soul and Luca and now Turning Red has decided that they're going to go directly to Disney Plus with no theatrical release. That it has brought up some question as if there's some, there is someone at Disney that has something against Pixar to deny them their theatrical runs or something. I don't wholly believe in, in that, but it's too much of a coincidence to not at least consider it. Well, the thing is, is that it had to have at least a limited theatrical run. Uh, Luca did because it is nominated for an Oscar. And I believe can, it, you can't have, an Oscar nomination if you didn't show in a for real brick and mortar theater. Um, Disney does own a theater. Yeah. They it, own they own it uh was, it had a one week theatrical run at uh the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, which is uh I believe owned by Disney. Yep. Um so it did show in a brick and mortar theater uh basically so it could get an oscar nomination uh but yeah as far as a proper theatrical release you're right it was released the uh, theatrically in the international market because uh some places disney plus is not available so where they can't release it on disney plus they did 
put it in theaters. Yeah, some people are calling it a conspiracy. I don't really know if it is. If if Lightyear gets its theatrical run pulled, and I don't think it will because of the popularity of Toy Story movies, but if Lightyear does get pulled from theaters and goes directly to Disney+, Plus, that will just add to the conspiracy. Yeah. Also, I'm not really sure they're going to be pulling much from theaters anymore because a lot of people have just decided they're going to treat COVID like it's over. It's not, but people have just decided they're they're just going to pretend it is. They're over COVID even though COVID is not over them. Yeah. So I think that people's, at least corporations, are going to start giving fewer and fewer considerations to the fact that there is still a deadly pandemic going on. And I think Disney's going to be one of them. And not just Disney, but I think, you know, film companies in general. And they're just going to be like, nope, we're we're not going to do streaming releases anymore. Which is sad because I really like that idea. I just release it on streaming so I can just sit at home in my PJs and just watch the movie at home. Well, I mean, we've talked about this before, especially as Oscar season comes up. The last couple of years have been amazing for me for Oscar season because I've been able to see more of the Oscar nominees than ever prior to the Oscars. I live in an incredibly small town and we only have one theater. And I have talked about how the fact that that one theater, even at the best of times, is not really a place anymore that it you want to go watch movies at. Um, and even if it were, um, even when it was still a really good functioning theater, it only got the big blockbusters, which are not, as everybody knows, what gets nominated for Oscars. So the movies that I was capable of seeing in theaters were only the big name films ever in in my lifetime i was never able to see like smaller independent films or documentaries or documentaries the so-called oscar bait films i was never able to see those in theaters i was able to see them you know back when video stores were a thing i was eventually able to see them sometimes in the the home release market but when that dried up i mean there are a couple of red boxes in town but, you know, they only get a certain amount of movies. And once again, those are kind of the big movies. Mm-hmm. They don't have the selection of like, you know, an old blockbuster or something that could afford to stock one or two copies of an independent film for, you know, the movie geeks. And then a lot of copies of the big blockbusters. You know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, you know, Redbox can only hold a certain number of DVDs at a time. So they go for what's popular and streaming has been wonderful for somebody like me because it's like, oh, now I can watch all the really obscure things that I want to watch that are not that appealing to a small town area. You know, there's never really been a market when it's just like, hi, I'm the one lone film nut 
that is the the market of one in my area. You know, it's it's never been profitable for a theater or a red box or a blockbuster to stock the things that I am into because it's me and maybe one other person in a 20 mile radius that wants to see that. I get it as a as a marketing choice. But with streaming, you don't have to worry about that. So it's it's been a boon for people like me who live in rather isolated areas. And I'm really sad that they're going back to pushing it because they only really care about people who are, you know, I mean, you're lucky you live in Chicago. And when I lived in Chicago, it was great. I got to see a lot of stuff I wouldn't have been yeah, able I mean, to there see are, otherwise. There are art house theaters here. There are smaller second run and independent theaters here that will run those those independent and movies and, and documentaries and things. And cause you know, we have Chicago film festival. We have a film festival here every, at least two or three times a year. Yeah. So and I, those, I got th- to see older films. I got to see, you know, I mean, you know, you know what it was like when I lived up there, I was constantly going to, to all these like weird little things, but. Cause you um, don't have that in. in I don't the, have that here. And I understand why. I mean, there is just not a market for it here. But I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss that again. And it was it was good because then even the people in the big cities, there was a market for it because people weren't getting out as much. And I I wish we could make them understand like I know you wanna push people back into theaters, but there are some places where that's just not an option. And honestly, uh the last two years, I've known people who straight up says, I will never go back to a theater because they don't miss it. I have uh, family members who physically cannot sit in a theater that long anymore. After, you know, having the last two years of I can watch my movie at home, the latest and greatest films. And if I want to pause it to go to the restroom or to fix a snack, I can do that. I've long said that theaters have been a market of monopoly you know well if you want to see this movie you've got to come to the theater and that if they wanted to keep that with the rise of you know torrenting and and things like that becoming easier that if they wanted to kind of keep that niche they were going to have to work on being an experience more than being a monopoly and I think they still haven't gotten that. They're still working on trying to be a monopoly. Um, I mean, the, over the last year, year and a half, it's been experiences only in theaters, only in theaters, you know, like, you know, welcome back to theaters. It's like, you know, really saying if you want to see this great movie, you have to see it in the theater. It will not be on streaming. And that turned a lot of people off and. People were picking and choosing what movies they were going to go see. For a lot of people, they were saying, hey, if I'm going to go into a theater, it's got to be a movie that's worth getting COVID over. And let's be honest, the only one really that fit that description was Spider-Man. Yeah, that was basically it. Everybody was like, well, if I've got to die for a movie, it's it's going to be Spider-Man or nothing. Hey, I want to see three Spider-Man on screen. That's worth it. People do want to be together and people do want. (laughs) stories and frankly the the movie theater has always been my happy place and i want to go back there 
But there are other considerations, and they've really got to start thinking about it more seriously. And we keep saying it, and they keep ignoring us, and eventually something's got to give. So, I don't know. Um, let's let's get back to the... Uh, let's talk to, about the fish to the, people. To, yeah, to the, to the fish people here. Because this is kind of an interesting premise. It's very much... I mean, I've heard people compare this to The Little Mermaid, and I can see it because you have the... You know, you have the the sea kid who wants to go to the surface and see what it's like in the human world. That's kind of where the similarities end. Yeah. Be- because you don't get the full, I'm going to sell my voice to a witch. It's just once a sea monster comes out of the sea, they instantly turn into a human. Yeah, there's no trade to to be done here. You don't really have to give up anything Except for just stay away from water. Mm. Which honestly is a bit more like Splash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had talked about the similarities between Splash and the Little Mermaid back during the Little Mermaid episode. But this is honestly a little bit more like Splash. Uh, oh, back at episode one. Yeah. We were so young then. Yeah. Uh, but the, the interesting thing about it is, though, how, how many ways people have taken this movie, because the director has said that it was just a movie about feeling different in whatever way that meant to you, because there are times that everyone feels a little different especially in that preteen right around the start of puberty kind of bit and i think that's correct i think everybody goes through a a moment of that that moment where you're you feel different you feel like an outsider you're not sure what's going on with yourself and you're just trying to figure it all out. Yeah. A lot of that in this movie, I could feel it. Yeah. Yeah. But but a lot of people have read it different ways. Like, is it a story about immigrants? Is it a story about the LGBT community? And he said, if you want to take it any of those ways, yeah, sure. If If that's the way you read it, perfectly valid readings, all of it. It's also the theme of, and I think you would understand this because we have the, for lack of a better term, the person that wants to, hmm, I'm trying to find the right word, the person from the small town that wants to go to the big city and, and Luca, Luca wants to go to school. And you have Alberto who, that you don't need to go to school. You don't need to educate yourself. We know everything we need to know right now. And that's also, I mean, I, as someone who grew up in a small town like yourself, the 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 idea of moving away from the town is the trope is that's usually shunned upon. Well, the the interesting thing is is that they <coughs> both want to do that. Both of the boys want the same thing. They just want it in a different way. Because Alberto also wants to get out. He just wants to get out on his Vespa and see the world. But, you know, Luca 
he finds out about the school and knowledge and, you know, the kind of more formal way of getting out and seeing the world. And Alberto is more the, I want to just roam free and kind of learn it all on my own. So it's still the same drive in both boys. It's just which way do you want to do? Do you want to do the more formal structured version or do you want to do the self-directed version? Which, you know, I I kind of like the difference between them. The director also said that it was him and his childhood friend Alberto, which he named the the character after and he said that that was them as children that you know he wanted to play it very safe and his friend was a troublemaker and the two of them were kind of on different paths in life but that they were best friends and he wanted to show that dynamic between two kids you know that they were they were really good pals and they were really close But in the end, you know, one of them wanted the kind of safe, structured path. And one of them wanted the kind of, you know, wild, freeform path. Before we really deep dive into this plot, let's uh, let's talk about who's in this movie. Yeah, we've got a lot of kid actors in this movie. The title character here of Luca is played by uh, an actor named Jacob Tremblay. For such a young kid, he has a lot of roles. Yeah, he's only 15 as of now, as we're recording this. And he has been in so much stuff. His debut was in The Smurfs 2. He became kind of really known when he was in the movie Room. Not The Room. Not the Tommy Wiseau classic, but the really boring downer film with Brie Larson. I don't want to call it boring, but, you know, compared to The Room, which is a laugh riot a minute. um, No, the really uh, traumatic uh, film about the, the boy and his mother who have been kept in captivity for all of his life. Uh, uh, most recently, right before this movie came out, he was in Doctor Sleep. That was the the Shining sequel. Yeah, done done by Mike Flanagan, who is having him a moment right now. Let me tell you, I've and, become and, a big Mike Flanagan fan. And speaking of uh, what we just talked about, he will be pro- pro- uh, providing the voice of Flounder for the upcoming Little Mermaid uh, live action movie. Yeah, that's that's gonna be an interesting film. I'm I'm waiting to to reserve judgment until I see it, but you know, there's I'll some for, interesting, you know, interesting trailer, casting, you know, yeah. Yeah. Interesting casting choices there. Um, he's also doing, he's also been doing the voice of, uh, Robin in that, uh, Harley Quinn animated series, very adult series. Do not let your kids, uh, watch that, uh, playing, uh, Alberto. We have, uh, Jack Dylan Grazer. I know him from, the recent two-part it film yeah he played eddie yeah eddie the uh the hypochondriac kid he was really good uh he was also in uh shazam yeah as as captain marvel jr or shazam jr freddie freeman the kid that walked with the cane (laughs) uh also really good in that 
also provides a voice in Ron's Gone Wrong, which I have not yet seen. Yeah, uh, but I've heard, Plus, yeah. I've heard some good good things. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty uh, good career he's got started there for himself. But yeah, it does, does a, a pretty good job in this one as well. A lot of this cast, I'm just going to say, is Italian, because, you know, set in Italy. And uh, I kind of looked up a lot of their resumes, and other than this film, did not recognize any of the films they were in. So I apologize if you're listening and you're like, these people are legends in Italy. They probably are. I'm just sorry, we're we're ignorant Americans. and. did not know them, but more familiar to our American uh, audience would be uh, Maya Rudolph. We uh, just talked about Maya Rudolph for you a few weeks ago. Yeah, um, playing uh, the Luca's mother. Uh, yeah, we talked about her uh, back when we talked about Strange Magic. Uh, at, last. Least she gets to, at least she gets to use a normal voice in this movie. Yeah, it's a it's a much less grating voice because it's it's basically just kind of more her normal speaking voice. It's a it's a slight affectation, slight character voice, but it it is closer to her normal speaking voice. Um, but of course, you know, Saturday Night Live legend there. And then uh, we've got Jim Gaffigan playing Luca's dad, stand-up comedian as well. I, I was telling you this before we started. Every time I hear J- Jim Gaffigan's name, I I just think of his Hot Pocket sketch. <laughs> so I just hear him going, Hot Pocket. Yeah, but of course, he's he's done so many other things. <laughs> um, I don't want to reduce him to that, but that, that's, of course, all, all I think of when I think of this. <laughs> but yeah, so he, he, he does so good at here, and I love the way that they've got him styled with that big mustache with the big mustache as so i i love the way that his his uh dad character uh looks the other kind of comedy legend that they got in here is sasha baron cohen which really kind of surprised me it's more of a cameo in this movie. Yeah, it is. It is a little bit more of a cameo, but he's Uncle Ugo, the weird little angler fish kind of uncle that comes up from the ocean depths to take Luca away at one point. And he's also in the post-credit scene. Yeah, and he gets he gets the little post-credit scene, but it's. It's a very strange little part that he's he's not used to the to the oxygenated <laughs> water in the kind of near the surface and his heart keeps stopping. It's such a weird little part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh we do have to to mention uh there is, of course, the part of Julia uh, there. She is played by uh, Emma Berman, who is a child actress. And honestly, this is kind of her big role. She has been in uh, one or two other things, but uh, not anything I'm familiar with. It's Go-Go Corey 
Carson, which is like a animated TV show, I think. Uh, I don't I don't know anything about it. So, um, but this is kind of her big breakout role, apparently. So, movie set in Italy. I do like that. They go full into the Italian theme by having the opening credits in the Italian style, as well as having everything that's written in the film is written in Italian, which is a bold move considering you would think, you know, Disney usually um, has their movies marketed to Americans, but by having, by going so far into Italian into this film, I'm... I'm actually surprised that they that they did that. Yeah, I I kind of like that there are all the weird little bilingual jokes. Yeah, there was one you like as soon as you were watching the movie, you just texted me like, "Did you hear the the, the, the crab's name?" Yeah, I I the the crab's name got me because Luca's dad has a pet crab and it's like this cute little pink crab, and he named it Pinchy Pesa. Which just I immediately started laughing so so hard because it's just this delicate little pink crab and he named it Principesa, which in Italian Principesa is princess, so he's got a little pink crab named Principesa. Oh my goodness, it was so cute. And Pinchy, so you know the the domain of Pinchy because it's a crab. Yeah, Pinchy, and then. Principesa, it's it's, it's a little it's a little princess crab with pinchy face. Oh my goodness! Oh, it's so it's a perfect little bilingual joke. I was like, oh, you're adorable. I only know that because I'm an opera nerd, and they they used it's like constantly, you know, they're talking to princesses all the time in opera, you know, and so it's one of the most repeated words in Italian opera (laughs) is calling women princess you know and then constantly uh i love julia's habit of swearing to cheeses <laughs> which, which is a thing like i i don't know if it's my love of language or my love of cheese <laughs> that, that came in handier there but she's constantly showing up places and being like, Santo Mozzarella, Santo Pecorino, Santo Romano. It's like constantly just showing up and swearing to cheese. I mean, like, I mean, that would be the equivalent of saying, uh, no offense to anyone, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it's like it's always like Saint and then a cheese name. Um, and I just love that she's constantly doing that. Like every time she shows up somewhere, <laughs> it's just a different random cheese name. There's, there's <laughs> a lot of patron saints of cheese in her in 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 this place apparently. Yeah, it's just it's the funniest thing to me. I love that running gag. Uh, I I also kind of love that. Alberto just shows up in the human world at one point and he doesn't understand. He's heard the Italians like running around like insulting each other and he just thinks it's a greeting. What's the matter with you, stupid? Oh, yeah, he just he just thinks that that's a normal greeting. What's that phrase that he keeps saying in the movie that Luca doesn't understand? 
It's it's honestly just random words. It's not even a greeting. It's just random words that he's heard. Mm. And he's put them together. Um, I don't even remember the string of words, but that that's why he can never translate it, is because they don't actually go together. It's literally gibberish. Yeah, it's 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 just gibberish. And like I said, I don't remember I don't remember the exact string of words. But when I was listening to it, I was like, once I finally realized kind of what he was saying, because he says it very quickly, and it, his pronunciation is not like super perfect. But kind of once I'd heard it once or twice, I was like, wait, what? Because it's not in the captions. So once I'd heard it once or twice, I started and I started picking out individual words. And I was like, this isn't actually a phrase. He's just saying random Italian words he's heard. <laughs> um, so it's it is it is not a translatable phrase. It's just kind of it's just like, you know, hi, baseball you know bicycle you know it's just like random nouns or something it's Ah. like um it's said pretty early in the movie of the change that uh luca's grandmother said that she used to go up to the human world all the time so it's not unknown to their people that if you leave the sea you will turn into a human but luca being as he says a good little boy he doesn't go up to the surface because he's told of the land monsters and what land monsters do to their kind. I don't think that Luca has been told what will exactly happen because he seems terrified when it happens to him the first time. He's just told stay away from the land monsters. Yeah, so I think that he thinks his grandmother is, you know, maybe has some dementia or something and that she's maybe not in her right mind. But when, you know, Alberto pulls him out of the water and he sees what's happening to him, he freaks out and he's like, oh, oh, no, 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 this is not supposed to happen. And then I think I think that's when he starts putting it all together. But he is still at least aware of the change, because he even says, you've made the change. But it it might also be just one of those legends, you know? Like, the town has the legend of the sea monsters, and nobody really believes it except for one or two people, you know? (laughs) And, like, you know, Julia's like, oh, my father believes in sea monsters, you know, whatever. But most people don't, you know? It's like... (laughs) Um, maybe it's like one of those things of Luca's like, oh, you know, my grandmother believes in the change, but most people don't, you know. Yeah. Because it seems to me like his parents take it a little better. Like his mom, you know, when, when his parents go out of the water, his mom freaks out at first, you know, when she sees the dad. Mm-hmm. she's like ah land monster and he's like no 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 it's me it's me and then she looks down at herself and she's like oh I'm, I'm hideous you know but they're they're not like immediately freaked out that like wait we changed into people you know like it's happened to them at least once before because they take to walking a lot quicker than luca does that's true luca has to be taught how to walk which is a very cute and funny scene you know like put everything upright like you're stacking rocks okay well now put your head out no lead more with your belly no you know mm-hmm. 
it is interesting. I like I like our our view of the underwater society. Yeah. I like the goat fish. Yeah, Luca is a uh, Fleckerberg term, a sheep herder. He's a little herder boy. Yeah. But the 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 goat fish and the way he talks to the goat fish, the way he goes around and and herds them and puts them back in the barn, you know, cave uh, <laughs> under the the rock and I like the way that they've got the glowing jellyfish as lights in the in their house, you know. Yeah. It's all very well designed. You know, the 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 design of everything in this film as far as the undersea society. Uh really, really cool. I like all the names for the sea monsters. Like all of all of their last names are the names of various types of fish or crabs or whatever in Italian. Yeah, like Luca's last name means hermit crab and Alberto's last name means redfish. Yeah, and there's like uh, you know, their neighbors or the Branzinos, <laughs> you know, things like that. I like all all of those tiny little touches. The the like I said the 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 underwater society it really feels like it's a a true society like it's just like our world just underwater yeah and it's not just an afterthought yeah much like the Little Mermaid they have the obsession with human things and they don't quite understand what the human things do like there's the phonograph that they that uh, Alberto collects that. You know, that's how the movie begins by, I, th- I believe it is Alberto that kind of jumps over the fisherman boat and they knock over the phonograph. Who the heck brings a phonograph onto a boat? Well, if you want music, it's like taking your, you know, your MP3 player or whatever onto a, a Radios boat. Radios exist. Well, but they were old <laughs> men. They were like really old men. <laughs> Fair so enough. maybe they just hadn't gotten a hold of the newfangled radio. <laughs> or and maybe there wasn't a really good opera station. Maybe. For them to pick up on the radio. That far out, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, you know, they get the phonograph and, and Alberta says, oh, it doesn't work. And then Luca figures out how to, you know, turn in the crank and, oh, it works. <laughs> you unbroke it. The running gag of them with, with the Vespa, their obsession over the Vespa. It's a scooter. But to them, it's the greatest thing ever created by human anything. And they want one. Come on now. At the, at that point in time, Vespa was the height of cool, though. Come on. Uh, all right, yeah. And, you know, I mean, we've mentioned it. Silencio Bruno. I do like giving a name to the voice in your head that tells you you can't do something and telling that voice, that voice in your head to shut up. I actually do like it in this movie. And of course, you know, the 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 unintentional meaning of, you know, we would get another Bruno later on in the same year. But I, I do like that Alberto creates this thing for himself that, you know, someone is telling, you no, you tell them shut up. 
And yeah, I, that, I do. I do like Luca going like, why is his name Bruno? It's like doesn't matter because the name could be whatever. Just it's that voice in your head that tells you you can do something. But now we really want to know why is his name Bruno? <laughs> there is a fan theory that Bruno is the name of Alberto's father. Yeah. That okay, it, it know, would make sense. You know, as we find out later in the movie. Alberto's father abandons him, and he lives alone. We don't know how long he's lived. He know we we know he's lived a long time by himself, waiting for his father to come back, and then just ultimately decided, well, he's not gonna come back. I'm just gonna live my life my way. And you gotta kind of feel for for Alberto. I mean, and it kind of plays into later in the movie when Luca when Luca's parents start looking for him. And he says, well, your parents aren't going to find you. They're not going to look for you. Because in his mind, well, my dad abandoned me. Your parents probably abandoned you, too. We don't know how long he's been alone. Because he said he's, eventually he stopped counting. And it seems that Luca is the first friend he's had probably since his father left him. And the interesting thing is we don't even really fully know how... They ended up there entirely. He kind of says that, like, oh, yeah, me and my dad came up here, and we were here, and now now I just live here. Like, it's all very kind of sketchy. And intentionally ha- vague. Yeah. Um. Once again, the, you know, Disney, Pixar, mom is madam not appearing in this film. It's like they can do a whole sequel just on Alberto and how he got to where, where he's at. It might be like a, a Finding Dory kind of situation where you could go back and figure out. It's possible his father just died or was, uh, you know, harpooned by hunters. And that's why he never came back. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it is the Little Mermaid all over again. <laughs> yep. We got a theory that, like, humans harpooned one of the parents. It's kind of a a sad backstory, not one you find too often in a Disney film. You know, we have a lot of like, my parent is dead, but you don't have a lot of like, well, my parent just kind of left me here and chose not to come back for me. That's not the Disney way. Like I said, like I said usually we'll have one parent and the other's dead. Yeah. Um, that was bold on, on, on Pixar's part to go in that direction of abandoning a child. Yeah. But it, but it does, you know, play into later on when Luca with the heel turn. Yeah, that, that's also a really kind of harsh moment. On one hand, Alberto is being a jerk because, oh, Luca wants to go to school, and, well, they're not going to accept you because you're a sea monster. See, look at me. I'm a sea monster, and now Juliet is afraid of me. What do you say about that, Luca? Oh, no, a sea monster. Go away, sea monster. And the heartbreak in Alberto, the only friend he's had in who knows how long, just betrays him because now he's met this girl who has introduced the concept of school to him. That's such a a heartbreaking scene of him walking away with all the harpoons falling into the water around him. And it's just the way he walks away, like, I don't I don't even care if one of them hits me, you know. 
I kind of like that Julia's not really fooled by that. Like, they go back to her house and she's like, you know. I can't believe Alberto was a sea monster splash. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Nice try, dude. I didn't out, I didn't out you in front of the people with weapons, but don't think I'm fooled, you know? Yeah. I really did like the way that they showed the friendship between the three growing. And I liked the way that they, like, yeah, if you squint, you can kind of be like, well, I don't know. Maybe Luca and Julia had like a little budding romance or whatever. Like, if you really want to, but the movie never really does it that way. It's more about the friendship between Luca and Alberto. There have and people... the friendship between Luca and Julia. Yes, there is fine. friendship there yeah. and, and all, but it's it's all very platonic. There are people who have put a romantic implication on Alberto, uh, Luca and Julia, and Luca and Alberto. It's fine if you want to read either into it. Um, I think there's enough in the text for either. But also, I think there's enough in the text against either. These um, are still children at the end of, of the day. Yeah, because it's a very prepubescent, pre-romantic point in childhood. They're they're all at that point in their their lives where they are not yet concerned with that sort of thing. And I love that the movie lets them be unconcerned with that sort of thing. Yeah. It's not like when Alberto gets jealous of their relation of the relationship between Luca and Julia that he's like, oh, now you're falling in love with Julia and you're going to like go away, you know. But it's it is not, a jealousy, though. It is a jealousy. It is. But it's more a jealousy of you were my friend and now you're her friend rather than you were my friend and now you've got a girlfriend, which would have been a very easy way for the movie to go. And I kind of like that they just left it like a friendship thing. And I like that it's more about the plan. The plan was we get a Vespa and then we go travel around the world and do whatever we want. And now your plan is to go sit in school and learn things. Dude. You know? <laughs> your plan is to go far away to sit in a in a room and look at a book. Like he even... You know, the, the concept of school to Alberto is extremely boring. I think he even calls it boring school. But, you know, the but the concept of learning about the world excites Luca. You know, he so many things that he doesn't know about the world. And it's, it, it also comes from Alberto kind of fibbing his way to, well, that does this, this does that. And then learning what those things actually are. Like, those aren't jellyfish in the sky. Those are stars and stars and galaxies and the, and the universe. And, and Luca wants to know more about the world because he's only lived at the bottom. of he's only, he's only lived in the sea. He doesn't know what's, what's, what the world is like. Now, Alberto doesn't really seem to care. He'll go and see the world, but he doesn't really want to learn, sit in a room and learn about it. He just wants to experience it. And I think that's what you were, I think that's what you were trying to say earlier. It's learning versus experiencing. But also he does that, that thing of, you know, there's the point in the movie where uh, Lucas says, you know, 
oh, look, it's all the little sardines up in the sky. And she's like, they're not sardines. They're just like the sun. They're big balls of gas. And, you know, it's the it's the Timon and Pumbaa thing. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Great um, kings of the past. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's that's what starts his whole learning process is he just Luca repeats what Alberto has told him and she corrects him and she shows him the books and she teaches him, you know, what she's learned in school. And Luca is very receptive to and I want to know more about it. And he goes and he shares with Alberto thinking, well, Alberto will want to know. He's just ignorant like I was. And so he'll want to know what I learned. And Alberto is like, no, that's not the thing. I already I already told you. It it makes Luca upset. Like, no, don't you understand how wonderful it is that like I I learned something and that made me happy. Alberto was like, No, I don't I don't want to know that. I've already come to my own conclusion. You know, that, uh, yeah, that, that I didn't think of it that way. And that is very much kind of like current events. Yeah. But but also it's it's what really starts the fight between them. Alberto is trying to share his passion, for lack of a better word. You know, it's like I want to go out and experience the world and make up my own mind about it. And Luca is trying to say, no, I want to find out how things really are. And those are at odds with each other, just like everything else they do is kind of at odds with each other. And Alberto says, you just need to do what I say. And if you want to take the deep dive, that could be his father talking. Maybe. The thing is, though, is that. We do see that Alberto is very resistant to learning from others and to listening to experience and expertise. We also both watched the little short film that Pixar put out. Ciao, Alberto, which takes place after the film. But it continues in that. That there's a little, you know, the, the story of that is, you know, he's living with Massimo and he's become... Massimo's apprentice in the little fishing business and he constantly keeps trying to do things to impress Massimo but he refuses to learn how to do them first you know that I'm I'm gonna do all the deliveries but he refuses to 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 take the delivery slip that gives him the instructions so he does it all wrong. He ends up he, breaking things. He tries to cook pasta without a recipe. Yeah, and so he ends up, like, exploding the can of pasta sauce and ruining the kitchen and the food. And then, of course, he tries to go fishing at night with a lantern, and he doesn't secure the lantern properly and ends up burning the boat to the point where they have to repair the boat, um, which is Massimo's livelihood. Yeah, he's a fisherman. It is uh, a thing that we finally see at the end of that sketch that he's finally taking direction from Massimo. You know, he's he's about to use the claw end of the hammer instead of the flat end of the hammer. Also, it's throughout that short, Alberto is kind of depressed because Massimo won't open up to him. He just grunts and says maybe one word sentences and he's trying to form a connection with him. 
even in a fit of rage, calling him dad. Because he doesn't, again, going back to what we said about his father abandoning him, he wants to have that father figure in his life. And, and I think that's the point where Massimo finally does open up to him. That this is not just an annoying little kid living in my house or or an employee even mm-hmm. like this. This is actually a child that needs me. He needs guidance. And yeah, Massimo opens up and, you know, when I was your age, I used to I used to cause as much trouble as you are to my father. And well, what did your father do? Well, we fixed it and, and they fixed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's the point where Alberto finally starts to, to grow a little bit and accept instruction. Yeah, that is Alberto's entire problem throughout the, the film and the thing that he needs to learn and doesn't entirely learn, you know? Yeah. But eventually he does kind of make the the sacrifice for Luca, you know? Multiple times. He first, because when we get to the big race, Luca has decided he's going to run the race alone because, one, he feels he, he would only hold Julia back, Julietta's back, but also he doesn't have uh, Alberto there anymore, so he's going to do it on his own. And at the end, when it starts raining, it's Alberto that makes the sacrifice with the umbrella Revealing himself to the whole town of the sea monster. And after they, you know, let's, you know, after they win the race, spoiler, um, it's, you know, the whole thing was leading up to them buying a Vespa. The rusted old Vespa that they've got at the end of the movie, he sells it and he uses the money to pay for Luca to go to school. So he sacrificed his dream twice just for his friend. So his friend could live his dream. But I think he finally realized that his dream was more he wanted a family. Especially with the abandonment issues with his father and kind of seeing Massimo as as a surrogate father. The thing is, though, is that we've got the little bully there that's (laughs) the quote unquote bad guy of the film. But once again, in the kind of new Disney spirit, there's not really a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, he's just a bully. He's won all of the race. And they continue to let him race, even though he is over the age limit, because all of the other kids kind of fear him. Even at the end, he when he says, you know, you, you, you may not be afraid of us, but we're all afraid of you. You're monsters. It's very much Gaston as a kid. Yeah. Without the influence that Gaston has on the town. Well, and also the town kind of hates him. Because he's a jerk. Yeah, unlike when Gaston comes into town, the entire town is like singing a song in praise of Gaston, you know? But when this kid comes into town, it's not just because (laughs) he's a kid. It's the entire town is like, ugh, that guy again? You know, we we see the town reacting to him like, oh, we hate him and his Vespa is so loud. And oh, this guy, you know, you know, he's got his two little lackeys that are mostly enthralled to him throughout the movie. And, you know, they they give up on him at the end. 
But other than the fact that he shows up every now and then in the movie to kind of insult them and punch Alberto at one point, he doesn't really do much. You know, he's he's not really a threat. He's more of an annoyance than a threat. Yeah. But the real villain is more just the kind of underlying bigotry. The prejudice over the sea monsters. Yeah, and also the idea of not being able to follow your own path, I guess, for either of the boys. It's interesting the way that they kind of set up the film. Once everybody realizes that the sea monsters are not going to be killed, there's, of course, the like two little old ladies that have been living in the town the whole time. That are just sea monsters. And at the end of the movie where we find out the grandma. Oh, I come up to the town every weekend for pasta. Yeah, which I kind of like. And I love that ending where they reveal themselves as sea monsters to the town. And you have Massimo who throughout the whole movie has shown a hatred of sea monsters. You, he hunts sea monsters and all that stuff. For him to come up to them, you know, in this big, burly, scary face of his and says you know uh, as the bully is saying you know who do you think you are like i know who they are they're luca and alberto and they're winners so even he saw through his own prejudice that yeah yeah they're sea monsters but he still spent time with these kids for the last several days he knows that they're good kids even if they are sea monsters i think that the thing that finally clinched it for him was that you know they're there their forms are revealed everyone has weapons and the first thought in their head was is julia okay uh because you can see in the animation the change on his face that he was getting ready to reach for a weapon and that then he sees them turn around and go back for her and that he changes so that it's not just her feelings for for them but their feelings for for her mm-hmm. which i like it's a it's a subtle moment but it's a good moment the power of friendship yeah the power of friendship i like that you know his parents are there and that they realize what all of this has meant to him uh because they've they've had a fun little side plot in the town like throwing water on random kids i know my kid even if he is a human and there's like a dozen kids in front of her and she can't tell which one's which yeah so they start this little running gag of them throwing water on kids to see which one will change i love the dad with the seltzer bottle just spraying random people and the water balloons the mom kicking the soccer ball into kids like throwing them in the fountain it's a fun little setup for all of them. And there there's some great moments in this, especially with Luca's repeated fantasy sequences. Yeah. I, I think uh, my favorite is them uh them running with the wild Vespas through the field. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just such an absurd sequence. Well the Vespas <laughs> run free, and then the other one where they're going up the ramp all the way to the sun and touching it. Yeah. Him dreaming about being among the sardines in the sky is another yeah. good one. You know, there's there's a lot of cute little little touches in this 
you know, it's it's such a surprising and cute little film. Um, and the, the animation is just extremely gorgeous. One thing I do like about these more recent Pixar movies, especially the uh, what I've seen so far of Turning Red, is that they're trying different styles in these more recent movies. For a while, you could kind of tell the Pixar style of animation. Like, there's a style that they have their characters looking in, and this, this is where the Pixar theory comes from, since all these characters look like they could exist in the same world. But with Onward and Soul and Luca and Turning Red, even what we've seen so far of Lightyear, these are all looking like completely different animation styles where the, the animators are allowed to do their own thing. And I really like that. Yeah, this one is very um, almost impressionistic. It's very watercolory. As watercolory as 3D animation can get. Well, yeah, but like the backgrounds have that kind of feel to them in that kind of palette, you know? It's a little less plastic feeling. And I love the way that they got the scales and the kind of seaweed hair on the sea monsters to look. The character design is just really impressive. Yeah. I also love the way they do the trick. The the two big transformation scenes for Luca. The first time he transforms to human, it's very abrupt, very quick. But the second time they do it, they slow it down and you see the the scales recede into the into the human legs and the and the 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 fins turn into hair and everything and then you see the flip during the end of the race where the water where the rain is falling on him and his hair is turning into scales and his skin is turning into scales and it's that those those two transformation sequences are beautiful and the the way that they do some of the, like the the surface tension on the water when he's surfacing and stuff and, and following the boat at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, he goes up uh, and you kind of see that little bit. And when he's jumped, when uh, Luca is trying to do the uh, the free willy jump, as I call it. Yeah. And he kind of slams on the on the on the skin of the water and kind of surfs on it for a bit and for diving, diving back in. Yeah, there there are some really really great animation sequences, and then it changes to a almost entirely different style every time he has one of his little dream sequences. Yeah. Uh, so really good job uh, on the on the animation, and uh, like you said, an in, an entirely different feel for Pixar. If you didn't see the Pixar logo beginning of this movie, you probably wouldn't be able to tell that this was a Pixar movie. Yeah, it looks so different. You're right. If you'd have just shown me a few frames from this uh, and been like, you know, identify the the company, I probably wouldn't have guessed Pixar. So does Luca, Kiki, let's ask the question, does Luca have the magic yeah i was really surprised by this this was my first watch for this one i figured when you were texting me about all the the italian puns in the movie yeah um this this was the the one on the list that i hadn't gotten around to yet and it really took me by surprise i didn't expect to like it as 
much as I did because this was the one that I hear people talking about the least. I think because of just when it came out, again, it was straight to Disney Plus, essentially, in the U.S. And it came out, like, during the summer when everyone was kind of trying to get back out again, where restrictions were starting to lift up again. So people were kind of not really it inside. And then, so I could see why people were not, were not talking about this. But don't sleep on this movie. Give this one a chance. I it's worth the watch. Yeah, I, I was I was absolutely pleasantly surprised. There's definitely magic there. It's just really cute, and I love the way that the three main characters interact off of each other. Uh, agreed. This movie this this movie definitely has the magic. Absolutely. So uh, let's move on to next week. We continue the Bruno Spiracy. We wrap up our Oscar month. We are talking about Bruno. We are talking about Encanto. I've been wanting to talk about this since I saw it back on Christmas, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> we we immediately were like, uh, you know, how how long do we wait on this one? We didn't want to do it too soon because we wanted to give everybody time to watch it. But the time has come. Time to talk about Bruno. <laughs> and so, time to get all those earworms back in your ears again. Yep. And ours. I just got in them out. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, come back next week for Encanto, and we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.